Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Thomas Mariani. And I am Detective Adam Thomas. Oh, there he walked in with legs as far as the eye could see. Detective (laughs) Adam Thomas. Are you trying to seduce me, Mr. Mariani? Well, maybe you're all trying to do the same to me, dollface. <laughs> God. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell from this, this great witty repartee that you come mm-hmm. to the podcast for, uh, we are, you know, usually we theme a topic around something that's coming out, um, but it's late August and there's nothing really coming out that's really relevant, uh, so we decided to just do something random, and we are doing noir films. Now, that isn't just film noir, which, for those of you who don't know, is the genre that was very popular around the... 30s, especially 40s and 50s, um, where, you know, any of the hard-boiled detective stuff, seedy streets, fogginess, that kind of classic black and white. Uh, But also, well, we included neo-noir in here, which would be anything kind of inspired that would later come. A great example of that would be something like Blade Runner, totally inspired by... Yeah, which is definitely more my thing. Uh, I do (laughs) love old noir films as well, but I haven't seen as many of them. Uh, But neo-noir, yeah, I'm pretty well-versed on. I would agree with that sentiment. I'm not as familiar with the noir genre. Um, I did take film noir class in college, and I was exposed to a lot of like the big ones, like Out of the Past and mm-hmm. a lot of others uh, with that. And it's an interesting genre. It's definitely very much of its time, but I do love seeing it crop up in some of these other uh, sort of also-rans that would come in the decades later. But uh, let's go ahead and do this. For those of you who don't know, uh, each week Adam and I come to the table with two movies the other isn't aware of. And the other person picks a number between 1 and 10, and whichever one gets close to a number we've assigned for the two different films we have, um, we'll have that one for both a good and a bad feature. And for this week, I have the two good movies, and Adam has the two bad ones. Yes. Yes. So, okay. Adam, pick a number between 1 and 10. Alright, I'm gonna go with number 9. Okay. At number 10, I had the early Stanley Kubrick film, The Killing. Oh, that's a good movie. I haven't seen that forever. I've never good seen Good choice. That. Really? Yes. Oh, it's good. Oh, I think you like it. That's kind what of was your other choice? Movie. My other choice at number three was one I have seen in that noir class, actually, and I really love, is uh, Kiss Me Deadly. I've also seen that. That's a great movie, too. Wow, the, two really good choices. One of the best fucking endings in any movie. Ever. It's yeah, crazy. I, oh, absolutely. It's insane. Absolutely. Even if, though we're not talking about it here, see that fucking movie. I won't tell you a goddamn thing about it. Yeah. But oh, great boy. things come to an end. Because now it's time yep. for me to pick the bat. And so I'll go with number seven. At number nine, that's why I picked it, you get the Frank Miller classic, The Spirit. Oh my god! 
feared this day would come. Yeah. Sorry, Dad. I've only Good. seen clips but, of the spirit. I've never gone full uh, out. You are not missing anything. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> what was the At other the one? other, the Black Dahlia. Oh. That's a bad one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Brian De Palma. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, late career. How far you have fallen, sir. (laughs) Yes, um, but we'll get into all this sweet stuff right after this. You ever take a few thousand? I figure the loot on this deal at two million. There should be that much in the track offices. Makes you think or know that you're gonna have several hundred thousand dollars. Because I do, I just can't talk about it, that's all. Not even to me, your little share. I shouldn't have even mentioned I was going to have it. It's not that I mind. I know I can trust you. But if these other guys the ever... The other guys? I can't talk about it, Jerry. You've been talking. Now you spilled to her. Why didn't I? What, do you think I'm crazy? I wouldn't jerk you, clown. Come on, clown. Sing us a chorus from Pagliacci. And we are back. We have viewed our double feature, and, oh, wait, what's this? Coming out of the fog and the mist is a new figure, our guest for the evening, Mr. Tori DePina. Tori, how are you? Hey, uh, I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Tori, we've been friends for a while, and I actually didn't know this until I asked you to come on to the show, but uh, you're apparently a big noir fan. Is that accurate? I I love the genre. I won't say that I'm, like, you know, fully immersed into it, but I can't resist watching like great detective epics or you know the style like 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 the films we're talking about today of course Mm -hmm. what what would you say are some of your favorites of the genre most of like my favorites i would say um i mean the film we're talking about two actually that we're talking about today um i also like some of the newer uh noir films i guess that kind of have that style like you know like sin city um i would even say films like dark city even though it's a sci-fi it has remnants of the noir style so you know, hell, Blade Runner. I, I, I would say, I mean, even though, again, kind of a kind of a blender, kind of a mixture. I have seen the Maltese Falcon, but it's been so long. I, th- those were films I watched with my grandmother as a kid, which got me actually into the noir uh, genre, into like sort of these like not even necessarily detective films, but just the style of it, where it's you know black and white, beautifully shot, shit tons of cigarettes being smoked, and you know you're not surprised that any of these people died of cancer. Um, well, we are covering our two features here there in the noir genre. Let's get into those features. Uh, first up is our good feature, which is The Killing, which we should also talk about, along with being a noir film, is a very early film from Stanley Kubrick. Uh, I think a director a few people might have heard of before. A few he, of I mean, he hasn't really done anything. No, nah, he didn't he do much after anything. this. It's such a tragedy. I, I wonder what nah, he did. Yeah, is... he was no Hitchcock. <laughs> That's true. No, not at all. Uh, not a famous auteur in any way. But of course... Stanley oh. Kubrick, he, this is his third feature. He had done two other noir films, Fear and Desire and Killer's Kiss, were his previous two films. It's weird, because when you think Stanley Kubrick, you think, of course, bigger Ooh. movies. This is like an 85-minute, very simple, quick heist movie. And... It's the shortest fuck. I'm I know. amazed about how, how short. I'm, I was like, I finished a Kubrick film, and this wasn't even an hour and a half. Yeah. This is a, and and the and, and cold endings like this like I I when I think Kubrick I think of The Shining. I don't think of like 
this very cold ending sort of very fast pace gives you everything you want that he usually would give you later on but it, it just feels like it's it feels so raw when it's coming at you i mean i just got off the film about an hour ago and it's honestly the best noir film i've seen it's, it's one of the top 10 most uh, best noir films as far as i know and i just watched it today <laughs> so it is short straight to the point when the madness like like hits off it it just it just hits you and it's like i was held into the edge of my seat i, I it, it's amazing to me that I pushed off watching this film for so long. Well, what about you, Adam? How do you feel about the killing? Oh, I loved it, man. It, it, you know, it's just, there's so much charm to it, and I couldn't even help but smile at some of the dialogue. You know, it's just so old-fashioned, and, you know, you've heard it so many times, you know, guys calling them dames, and, you know, I'll tell that pretty face that I have a good beat. You know, that type of shit. It's just, it's a great movie, man. I love, you know, much like Tori and yourself, I love noir movies. I Thought I'd seen this before, and I still think I might have, but I definitely also uh, watched it today. Um, and uh, yeah, I did. I just had a great time with it. It's so brisk. Like it, it was over. I'm like, oh, it's over. Holy shit. There could have easily been another 20 minutes, half hour to this movie, and it wouldn't have mattered. It has still been a good movie. Yeah, I mean, I had I definitely not seen this before, um, but I was curious, obviously, because I do like Kubrick films uh, for the most part. Um, some of it can be a bit long in the tooth in most cases, but yeah, like like we keep saying, the the briskness is so surprising, but you still at the same time see a lot of the sort of uh, shots that would you he would later make into like bigger, masterful, giant, epic bits, and here are just used to really get you immersed in the sort of dank corners, which works for a noir, obviously, so many great shadowy shots, and people just talking across uh, different tables, like, I love the scene where they plan out the heist, and it just gives you an exact idea of every single person's personality in the group, Um, and especially, like, we gotta talk about this cast is pretty stellar with Sterling Hayden in particular as our lead. You would recognize from other Kubrick films, like he's the guy who talks about precious bodily fluids in Doctor Strangelove, um, amongst other various films. Uh, he is a great sort of lead for this movie in terms of there's a danger that's always there, but you know he's at the same time playing a part. Like, I love any of the scenes with him and uh, Marie Windsor, when, like, she comes in and he initially says the whole hamburger meat thing and then doors are closed and they just play off each other perfectly. It's like, I know you're full of shit. I'm full of shit, too. But if you shut up, you'll get money. Great back and forth between those two (laughs) characters. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to lie. One of the scenes in the movie that I thought was um, very awkward. Maybe I'm kind of inflating it with the kind of overtones that were there but uh the part where uh sterling hayden's character is talking to uh, uh marvin or uh, jc flippin that was the actor's name mm-hmm. uh when jc flippin's like in the in bed basically and he's like sleeping and, he, and the way he's like asking him for them to just go away together and them two i was like huh he got away with this in 1956 and nobody noticed this type of thing well, it, <laughs> it goes from because... father and son to yeah. like slightly homosexual i don't want to say it like i'm not saying like that's rock or anything but it seemed like it was just like huh that's kind of an awkward uh conversation towards the end there in the beginning it goes like ah you're like a son to me and then it's like let's go away together i'm like huh. and let the world turn a couple times another great old time you've been. <laughs> uh, let the world take a few turns what producer didn't have the moment when he was like wait a second you need to cut that out and cooper got away with it and the 50s out of all places man that's that's crazy but yeah like just but the actors uh like i said like flipping and um 
Sterling just make that scene. What would really be awkward, and I would say a present day film, it's it just still flows by seamlessly. You kind of get over it the minute that it ends. Because I mean, at the end of the conversation, with Sterling's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go now," and it's just like you know, he <laughs> just pats him on the head and just walks off. Yeah, that's what like... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I like about the the Sterling Hayden character is he wants to give these guys the feeling of just like, "Oh no, I I care about all of you. I I we're all in this together. We're brothers going down on this." And in reality, he's just like, I don't give a fuck about these guys. I just need them to get my money. And that's that's the great charm of his character, I think, is that he constantly has this face that he wants to present, and he has this just actual human core that you see really break down, especially with the ending of the movie, which we'll get into. Um, but I think that's why, obviously, he's got the clown mask, which, in terms of influence, um, I think Christopher Nolan may have seen this movie and might have uh, used that for a certain no. bank heist scene. Maybe, maybe. No, you're joking. He, he, ha, ha, ho, hum. <laughs> Though I love the ha. fact that mask, he, <laughs> I love how that mask actually mo- has the mouth move, which makes it so much creepier. Yeah, it looked more like it was Dude, like a... Uh, horrible. I know. It looks like a yes. <laughs> Uh, it's like the type of mask that you would see, like a like clown mask you would see on just like a homeless person walking around in like Mardi Gras or something, and just scaring the shit out of some you know some drunk motherfucker. It's the weird burn cork style clown thing that always looked creepy, and I never got why anyone found that kind of clown hilarious and funny. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like Adam, what about you? What do you think about Sterling Hayden? Maybe some of the other cast members as well. Um, I really liked Sterling Hayden. I, I liked that. I mean, he looks like he's a tough guy, but he's definitely got a heart. But he also is, I mean, he's kind of dumb a little bit. He was in no way <laughs> not being obvious and suspicious most of the movie. He literally punches <laughs> a security guard out on the way yeah. out. Of that one. <laughs> well, just like when he's standing by the door and he just keeps shifting eyes from left to right, looking at the people, looking at the cops, looking at the people, looking at the cops. Like, okay, well, this guy's clearly going to go in there. But I really do. I liked um, Elisha Cook Jr. as George. Mm-hmm. Um, who basically looks like Jeffrey Lewis. Oh, yeah, character actor uh, Jeffrey Lewis, yes, I, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he, he does but, that. Uh, he has, he's like the piglet of the group, in terms of always right, the exactly. meekest, always, like, clearly being kind of led around. Pushed which, around by everybody. Yeah, including, uh, we mentioned Mary Windsor, who is a phenomenal femme fatale for the movie. Just every time she shows up, you can just see how she's turning his gears and manipulating him so effectively it's it's a wonderful performance out of her and the the back and forth it just builds up perfectly to when we have that resolve at the end with i think the line of the movie of just like just a joke without a punchline dead just just like you can you can see why she was like considered like a queen of b movies just from the way that she acted towards the end because everything else kind of felt natural but as she dies it's just like Ah, that's why you were in B-movies most of your career, because that was the most B-moviest way of of delivering a final line before you die. And it it was just fantastic. Just her back and forths were just so smooth between uh, Elijah Cook Jr. I did not know. I was actually looking at some of, like, the Wikipedias on some of these guys beforehand. I didn't know he was actually in the Maltese Falcon, because I remember the scene where he's trying to... uh, uh, terrify or not terrify scare humphrey bogart and he's like failing at it for for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. and it's just it seems to me that he was just the the guy who was always playing these sort of meek very weakly cowardly villainous types and uh no exception in this movie of course Mm -hmm. on the flip side of that i also want to bring up my favorite probably secondary character in it is uh timothy carey as nikki yes uh i don't know if it's because of the way he delivers his lines 
or what it is, but he is one of the most intimidating dudes in the movie. What else has he been in? Because he has like a distinct look to him. Like he had to have been in more than just. He's been in. um, Well, I know he was offered the role Reservoir Dogs as the dad. Oh yeah, Quentin Tarantino is like a huge fan of him. He was in a lot of those silly like like uh, beach movies. He was in a couple of those. He was in Paths Uh, of Glory, which I want to point out because it almost feels like he's doing a Kirk Douglas impression in the movie, which I think works for him, because how many times he just grits his teeth like this? Constantly. <laughs> Constantly. That delivery, like, that delivery is amazing, the way he carries himself, just like, and it, it can be something that's easily, like, overdone to parody, but he does it with such, like, credibility that, you know, it's like, it, it, it's like a relic of, like, that time, just like, you know, I didn't think, even the way he, of course, you know, when he's racist to the, the lucky Negro at the end there. Amazing how he can just like at the like snap of a finger can just switch off, but he still remains like cool up until you know, of course, his uh, his peril, his perishing, if you will. He was he's a he's a regular uh, character actor that popped up in a lot of stuff, and I like the fact that the what we're amassing here. You mentioned Reservoir Dogs. Another thing is that this was clearly influential on someone like a Tarantino in terms of oh. not not just in terms of like getting the whole. Um, each of these people together and kind of having them bounce off each other and they're grizzled great character actors, but also the nonlinear style, which was a big issue with the studio at the time who kept trying to make Stanley Kubrick re-edited to be more linear, which made it more confusing, and they compromised by saying, okay, we'll have it nonlinear, but you have to add this narration in, and if I have any issue with the movie, it's definitely, that narration is completely unnecessary and very intrusive. Like Blade Runner unnecessary. <laughs> well, at least it's not delivered by a completely dead in his eyes, not giving a shit Harrison Ford. It's just like, yeah, I'm a Blade Runner. That's what they call me. Yeah, yeah. it's just it, that did take me off of the out of the movie. Even though I will say, like whoever did the narration did a really good job. Um, he's like, he's dead, and now we're on to the blah blah blah. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh okay. <laughs> the thing is, if they were gonna do it, it should have been more consistent because then it was just in like the beginning 10 minutes of the movie like three minutes in the middle and then the last like five minutes so when it comes on you're like wait what why like sometimes it's only for one line literally that just i know up. why yeah exactly if, <laughs> he died <laughs> if anything it should have just been titles like that would have been fine just have a title that says like 424 PM, this, that, whatever. So you can keep track of, like, okay, this is earlier than previously, all that other stuff. That would have been the perfect compromise. But the, the narration, I think, it's one of the few issues I really have with the movie. It just kind of stops things dead and feels inconsistent, like Adam mentioned. Yeah, just not quite coalescing together. But another face we need to mention, which I didn't realize until I was doing research for this, and I had to watch this scene again, during the big uh, fight, which I love how that's orchestrated, the whole thing at the bar, the rough and tumble that's going on. It, it feels very sort of ahead of its time in terms of the cinematography. You can see as an extra the film debut of Mr. Rodney Dangerfield. I did not see him at all. Oh my god, where, where was he? He's at the bar. Well, right, he's at the bar, but also at the point Adam's talking about when Sterling Hayden is like looking back and forth like, should I go in? Should I go in? You can see him very distinctly if you look. It's, he's like right near the door. And it's just like, he's, I'm just imagining him staring there, just like, oh my god, they gotta give that bartender more respect. Hey! There's a ticket! <laughs> Back to the fight, which 
I'm just going <laughs> to mention right now, huge, fantastic, uh, uh, huge wrestling fan. Love it. Love the art form. Uh, the wrestler known as Cola Quariani, which uh, suspiciously sounds like uh, sounds like uh, a guy who has a podcast that we're, we're on right now. <laughs> I don't know what you're sounds... talking about. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, snort. Come on! <laughs> Fantastic. It was like a he was like a George the Animal still looking type. I I, I kind of hopefully there's like video uh, videos of his matches just because the era he was wrestling there there really wasn't a lot of but uh, like really good choreographed like uh, just the back and forth the way the cameras kind of cut from in and out. Um, and sadly enough, unfortunately, I looked upon his death. He uh, he really did love chess just like his character did in the movie. Um, he had actually fought five, uh, I guess a gang of five people and he ended up perishing not too long afterwards, unfortunately, um, as a result, cause he was, a, you know, these wrestlers were legitimate tough guys back then. You know, these were the guys that could take on one to two people, but you know, 77 years old and you're five people you're fighting. It's not going to help you so much. But the fact that it's sad, this was his one and only movie that he was in. And he wasn't even – he was really good as well uh, from the way – some of his lines were a little, you know, awkward the way he wouldn't – he seemed like he had, like, timing in between his lines. He would kind of just, you know, kind of go on to the next There's line. There's a bit of Tor Johnson in there. What we can definitely exactly. say. <laughs> as far as, like, what he's there for, like, to be the brute, man, I couldn't imagine anybody better at that time uh, uh, to, to do that. It was such a great – such a wonderfully violent scene, <laughs> you know? I love how fast it is for him to take off his shirt. Like he just he smacks that guy and then immediately just like gets his shirt ripped off and has that burly <laughs> that, that what you're talking about like the old school wrestler like immense amount of hair on his chest I love yeah, oh, yeah. Just, exactly yeah, like George Steele back and his yeah. <laughs> You know, back then, you know, your your wrestler looked like it wasn't like the roid freaks of today. I mean, you had guys with the gorgeous bod, but then you had the guys that were like the pre predecessor to the dad bod, where it was like that you look at this guy, he looks like a fat schlub, and then he kicks the crap out of you like an hour later. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you know, they were wrestling bears at traveling circuses and stuff like that. These guys, yeah, you know, doing parties. arm wrestling, con- yeah, arm wrestling competitions, shit like that. Um, they weren't. They, like you said, they weren't athletes. They were bar fighters and just tough guys and just strong men. They weren't straight up athletes. They just knew how to throw a guy around. Exactly. <laughs> you know, thank God there were certain times where I had subtitles. Well, I had subtitles on the whole thing because I had to watch it a little quiet. Thank God, though, because there are certain scenes, especially when he's talking to the guy who's running the cash register and he's telling him what to do if he doesn't come back by 630. If I didn't have the subtitles on, man, I wouldn't have caught none of that. Yeah, he's that was the only so time. fast. Exactly. He was. That's what I say. He was talking very fast. Exactly. With no inflection. God, no. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, straight talk, no inflection, super fast with a thick accent. I got up until he said, "You know, I should be back by six thirty. If I don't come back, blah 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 blah." blah. Like, oh, okay. That's another example of someone in in this whole thing. How kind of rough around the edges this plot is, where he's just like. The cashier says, oh, hey, you know, that sounds pretty weird that you're saying it like that. That sounds pretty suspicious. Maybe you shouldn't look into things. Maybe shut your fucking face. <laughs> it's just... Right. Like... <laughs> yeah, he's like, you know, my old saying, you stare at some too long, maybe I'll become burned. Maybe you're the world. It's like, this, or maybe this thing too. I don't know. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, just like, it just went from like, oh, you know, like, we got this and that, and then I'm like, oh my goodness, what are you saying? Okay, fine. I think I got the gist of what you were saying. Do this thing if I don't come back. <laughs> and I was like, should I turn the subtitles on? I'm like, nah. This Google Play app on my TV is not really working with me right now. I'm just gonna just gonna let it continue. Let it happen. Well, yeah, 
And obviously, as much as this is a noir film, it is also a heist film. And I think we did our heist episode a few episodes ago. But you can you can really see that like this is like the blueprint, the urtext for just how to like get everybody together, have this plot kind of go along, and even like we mentioned, the kind of rough around the edges bits, even go down the line to something like last year's Logan Lucky, the Steven Soderbergh movie, has a lot of sort of that character humor. And also takes place at, obviously, a racetrack. That's NASCAR-ish, but still, there's a lot of parallels to even something that modern with how, sort of, the structure of the heist is. You know, I haven't seen Logan Lucky yet. Um, On the same boat. (laughs) I want to. Everybody knows I've seen it said I should watch it, because I do like a good heist movie. But, yeah, like you said, Tom's... As we alluded to earlier, even with Reservoir Dogs, where they show the you know the linear, non-linear structure, and they show you what all the different characters are doing at the same time, basically, or even movies where it is a linear structure with heat, and it shows them you know meticulously planning, and you get the sense of relationship that not only do these criminals have with each other, but at home as well. So it grounds them a little bit. They're not just pure on villains. I think that definitely is what makes this movie and those type of movies stand out. It's not just straight cops and robbers. There's depth and layers to every character um, to the point where you want Johnny to get away and you don't want the suitcase to fall, even though you know it's going to. You know it's going to happen as soon as he decides to check the bag. The whole time you're like, oh my god, don't, 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 but please do because I want to see it. And if they, you know, if it wasn't for the way this movie was written and acted, you wouldn't give a shit. So I definitely think the heist movies of today, especially the good ones and the good noir or neo noir or whatever you want to call them, owe a lot to this one. Yeah, and we mentioned like influential not just the Tarantino, but also even a Christopher Nolan, one of the most big successful filmmakers of all time. That sort of weird mixture of the elegance, but at the same time, the kind of darker, the, the, the creases and the lines on these character actors' faces. That's what I love seeing yeah. noir films for. It's just like you get every crevice, every wrinkle, which really makes you sort of feel immersed in the darkness of this world. And even just like the smaller people also kind of had it. Like I love the hotel clerk guy who Sterling Hayden talks to, and he's just like, I don't make any questions, no problem, you do what you want, it's fine, I can accommodate. <laughs> like, he knows he just deals with this all the time. Just those little things really give you a sense of this world, and it's all these small things build up to, as you mentioned, the ending, which that shot of just, like, the money going in a flurry. Oh. You know, beautiful. One of, like, just a phenomenal oh, so piece of cinema. Awesome. And the whole time you're like, I literally, as soon as it happened, as soon as that, that, fucking lady who was doing baby talk with the dog which by the way I would have punched her in the back of the head but as soon as that dog runs out there I went oh shit he's and never like, been on a plane before has he no, no, yes. he's a sweetums man oh look at that like dude get the fuck out of here <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like I was hoping that scene was ending. I'm like, please, okay, is there like an importance to this actress? Because I, I hate every single ounce of this fucking scene right now. Oh, I just wanna I wanna grab that dog and throw it into the fucking turbine of the plane. <laughs> just to hear her just to hear her mourn in that stupid fucking like whoopy poopy schmoopy. It reminds me of like that Andy Milanakis skit where he would like talk uh-huh. that way to his dog and his dog would like think of murdering him. <laughs> like that and, and that I'm I'm that dog in that Andy Milanakis scene watching this scene in this fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, a quick disclaimer, the animal cruelty thoughts of Tori DePino do not reflect those of Double Edge, Double Bill, Adam Thomas, or Thomas Mariani. Anyway, uh, I, I back- will guarantee 
Right now, though, that dog's already dead, Thomas. I need to break it. What? To you. I think no. the dog's dead. By... I, I knew all <laughs> the other it, actors were way. dead, but the dog clearly would be still alive at this point. <laughs> that's that's the dog Superman's dad wouldn't have run to save in Man of Steel. He would have just been like, eh, just walk the other way. Oh, well, um, we know when there's a Man of Steel reference, we know it's time to start wrapping up. Uh, so, Tori, <laughs> give, give us your final thoughts on the killing and any other stray things you may not have said prior. Okay, um, I want to say as far as, like, MVPs, as far as this movie, we've been talking about how everybody, you know, sort of just came together and, you know, this great, amazing cast. MVP is going to uh, Elijah Cook Jr. because... We were talking about you were talking earlier about his facial like about the facial expressions of like people in noir films. Um, the end there, like you know, the end of his his character's arc, um, that uh, that grimace on his face was fucking terrifying. Like just the amount of fear and disbelief, and how he just couldn't believe things would go so wrong that his woman wouldn't have betrayed him. Even though I'm sitting there like, you know, she's gonna betray your ass, right? Tell me you don't believe this. Okay. And so when it does like kind of implode inside and he does what he does, it, it, it's like, God damn, like just, it, just, that, just that image of him sitting next to the, uh, uh, the bird cage, just sitting there like, I, I can't believe you did this just the way, it, it, you know, any other actor, I don't think wouldn't have been able to pull off what he did. Um, and just that look he has, like, that's just such, that seems like it's such an iconic like picture right there that you could take it. You could frame on your wall. And um, but other than but other than that, um, man, the Coen brothers definitely took some uh, uh, liberties with having that sort of like cold ending where, you know, just out of nowhere. I can, I can feel like this definitely inspired some of their works because, man, it, it feels like that ending was almost like one of these thematic video games where it's a game over. But it's not just game over. It's game over. They'll show you a sad scene as to why it's a game over. And everything fades to black and the guys are just walking towards you. And you can apply it to many, like even like Metal Gear Solid or or or, or the Resident Evil games. It, it, it's amazing how it was a precursor to that. Just, just the whole style and everything that this film would birth later on. Um, you know, it's easily the best noir film I've ever seen. Uh, you know, 10 out of 10, whatever rating system you want to give it. Um, you know, glad I watched it. I'm more kicking myself that I waited till, you know, a po- <laughs> till a podcast appearance to see it. Um, I, I can't, I, I'm definitely going to show my girlfriend. She's a huge Kubrick fan as well. And uh, I'm not sure if she's seen The Killing, but we definitely got to watch it together. Um, definitely a film that you can watch with like a group of people too. So, you know, great film. I, I just love that description of the ending. And I'm just imagining Sterling Hayden like ragdolling, like you get killed in GTA and just like busted. <laughs> <laughs> you could be like or like, like i mentioned metal gear earlier it was like sterling 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 it's just two mobsters standing over him oh man can I, gotta replay the heist mission replay the heist mission come on uh, <laughs> but uh adam your final thoughts on the killing um i was thoroughly uh pleased with this one for sure man i do want to also throw out there that elisha is probably the toughest motherfucker in the movie because he takes a face of buckshot and still makes it home drives home nonetheless to shoot his wife and uh you know have a couple minutes left with their parrot this is a absolutely a fantastic fantastic movie i think it's a master class on noir noir films especially from this era and even you know Kubrick out of it, honestly. I mean, which I've said, I think, on the show before. If not, I know I've said it's Thomas. Is not my all-time favorite or even probably up there in my favorites, but 
you know, you can't deny the man's talent. I won't deny his talent either, but this was just, this was so fun and just, you know, movies aren't made like this anymore, at least not mainstream. So just to go back and see something like this was incredibly refreshing. And uh, it's definitely like, I'm going to recommend it to people that I know who like noir films for sure. Um, this will definitely be like a watch again for me as well. Uh, it's probably my favorite one that I've had to watch for the show that I haven't seen yet. I think something we get, did kind of undersell is just some of the ways that Cooper kind of crafts some of these shots. Uh, there's a great shot when they hear Mary Windsor at the door and it's the guys going through from the kitchen all the way over to like the front door. And it's almost like a one shot and the camera's just passing along all the knickknacks and stuff that are in that apartment. Just like, that's a phenomenal but understated shot. And I think that's the thing is, unlike a lot of Kubrick movies, it doesn't feel as sort of self-important as it could be. It definitely feels like he is making something quick. It's a good calling card movie for him, though. In the same way that something like a Memento was for Christopher Nolan, this feels definitely like a great calling card shot in the you know, out there into the ether for a director to kind of put out. And obviously it worked because Kirk Douglas saw this movie and was like, Hey, I want you to do paths of glory. And that sent him off on his career. And I, I think it's definitely essential. If you're a Kubrick fan, if you like noir, it's got all the grays for fogginess and smoke and haziness and the creases, like I said, in the character actor spaces and pretty much the, the, I don't think there's really any issue with the cast. I'll say if there's one sort of weaker character, I would probably say it's the Randy character, uh, played by Ted DeCorsia, who's just, like, the guy who owes money to some guy. That's, like, the weakest motivation. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. And way to go, asshole, for showing up when he told you not to. <laughs> That's true. Uh, though I do love his whole excuse later on, where he's just like, look, my my patrolman thinks I'm dr- my chief thinks I'm drunk, and nobody questions him, so I think everything's fine. Oh, 30 days suspension. How bad will that be for you? <laughs> <laughs> what a shame. Uh, but th- them as a group really works, and I think that's essential for any heist movie, but also any noir film where you do have sort of like a, a large cast of characters trying to get together to pass a crime off. Um, it's it's a great watch, and I think it's it's definitely one of the few Kubrick films to definitely recommend to sort of mainstream audiences. This is one of his few films I would say that's a crowd pleaser, because can't really say that about most of his other ones. Like the closest other one might be The Shining, but that's so weird as shit. That's more yeah, mainstream. That's pretty hardcore. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore to call it a laser. It's look, it's more yeah. something like two thousand one of space Odyssey. Like, yo, dog, you want to see existential yeah. space? <laughs> yo, man, a furry's blowing a rich dude in this. You gotta see it. Uh, but speaking of weird non sequiturs, it's time to get to our next film uh, in our noir double feature, which is Yay. the two thousand eight neo noir. The spirit. What are you? What are you? That's what the woman asked me. Am I some sort of ghost? I still move. I still breathe. I'm still alive. The bad guys are winning. Right now, we got our hands full. You have to do something about the spirit. Spirit thinks he can't stay hurt. I'm getting El Spirito dead while I still can. She's got a thing for the blame. Sand Seraph. There probably isn't a law in the books that you wouldn't break. Do I look like a good girl? Somebody get me a tie, and it sure as hell better be red. Oh! I'm gonna kill. 
kill you all kinds dead. I'm on my way. Yay! <laughs> yes! What's I go say, over? Yeah, I say we let Tori go ahead and uh, let's let's go over this team, guys. This this crackerjack ass <laughs> cast that we have before you with this movie. I'm gonna go down a list here because you'll know them from other films, obviously. Like instance, Suit Star Gabriel Macht as Denny Colt the Spirit, featuring Johnny Simmons as a young Denny Colt, who you may remember as Young Neil from uh, Scott Pilgrim Save uh, versus whatever the hell Scott Pilgrim <laughs> versus the World. Yes. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed with joy right now. Give me a break here. Samuel Jackson as the octopus. Scarlett Johansson in her easily. Like, there was no effort put into this performance whatsoever. <laughs> as as Silken Floss, Eva Mendez being Eva Mendez. <laughs> are, are you done? Can we, can we... <laughs> no, 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 no. We're going to keep going because this is, this is the cast of all casts right We've now. We've been held hostage, Adam. He's taken over the show. You are definitely held hostage. Did I mention that the younger version of Eva Mendes' character is played by the girl from, uh, you may know her from the live-action Airbender movie. She turns into the moon. That's that's all you need to know. Oh she my god, that is her! I knew I recognized that's her from That's Seychelle oh, Gabriel. Oh. <laughs> Who's the one? The, the, the one with the penis head, right? The one with the penis hair? In the movie? Get that yes. serpent <laughs> She was in Legend of Korra, though, so she made up for it. That's true. But uh, amongst amongst others, may I, I do want to mention also uh, Paul Levitz, DC Comics president, and Frank Miller also had acting roles in the movie. You actually get to see Frank Miller's head thrown at the spirit in the beginning. Fantastic scene. But before before we delve too much into it, um, let's start with all you guys because I obviously uh, uh, am wrong for this role right now to talk about it, how great it is. You guys need to illustrate how obviously bad it is well hold on let's put the brakes on this for a goddamn second so backstory the spirit is a 2008 film that was the uh solo directorial debut of frank miller who is a comic book artist who you might know from his batman work on stuff like batman year one or the dark knight returns and he had his few forays into hollywood he co-wrote the robocop sequels which he said oh they mangled my stuff and then you see the one, the comic that's based on his old scripts. It's like, oh, this was terrible from the start. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, then he also, of course... a noir movie out of him. Yeah, Sin City is a better neo-noir movie. Right, which he co-directed with Robert Rodriguez, which if you hear Robert Rodriguez talk about it, he it's less co-directing and more, hey, Frank, does this frame look like your comic that you did? Yeah, it does. And that gave him <laughs> the impetus and maybe more the balls to say, hey, I'm going to take my friend Will Eisner comic and I'm going to turn it into a film in his honor. He literally got this job at the memorial service for Will Eisner. And wow. Um, stabbing your friend in the back while he's rolling in his grave, apparently. Cause... Oh, boy. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> the the interview gives you because I actually watched some interviews that were building up to this, and I still remember this interview to this day uh, that w- that uh, that featured Frank Miller, and it was in pr- ad, it was in like promotion for the movie. I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but he's talking about uh, you know how at the end, and this is a line that stuck with me. I'm like, after I saw the movie, he's like, this is not uh, a tribute to me. It's not a tribute to Will Eisner. It's my tribute to the spirit, and I'm like. 
Oh yeah, you um, <laughs> you don't fucking say your tribute to the spirit. <laughs> okay, I can see. <laughs> oh, are all the women vapid one-dimensional characters? Oh yeah, yeah like, it's like definitely Frank Miller. Yeah, it sounds like sounds like a guy who's notorious. Like you know, like I remember listening to a review where it's quoted that Frank Miller hates women. I'm like, you know, he doesn't hate women. He just thinks of them as just sexually Objects. vacuous yeah. machines you know like yeah you know <laughs> that's that flying that's falling with style that's literally what you just yeah. did <laughs> anyway yeah. <laughs> adam hasn't talked to you about the spirit so adam are you familiar with the source material and if so or if not uh what were your thoughts on the spirit i'm somewhat familiar with the source material just growing up being a comic book fan my dad was a comic book fan so, like, I knew the spirit, the shadow, Dick Tracy, all those, you know, around that era. I never really read it or anything. I just, and I knew who Will Eisner was. So then I'm like, okay, I really liked Sin City. This looks like Sin City. The preview looks exactly like Sin City. He's got the red tie. That's the only thing showing. Okay, that's Sin City. So, oh, narration. He's a tough cop. Oh, more Sin City. So let's go see it. Yeah, no. Nah. It's nothing like Sin City. This movie is just pure shit. Where Sin City, certain of the actors are actually trying in it. Nobody's trying in this movie. The only one who's even trying and they're doing a horrible overacting job is Samuel L. Jackson. Gabriel Mott is so boring and bland. It's just, it, it, like, like you said, the women are just vapid tools for TNA. I, I mean, it's just, oh, and don't get me started on Samuel L. Jackson's fucking henchmen. How annoying. And just stupid that whole thing is, you know, they, Nazi they guard. The homeless, they let the homeless get in for free. That's that's why the homeless always get hurt because they go to the hospital. Oh. <laughs> Silken Floss is the most beautiful woman ever. Oh my god! Oh my god! I mean, this is it's just it's horrible. Well, it, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill you all sorts of dead. What? Excuse you. I'm gonna kill you all kinds of dead. Oh, excuse me. You're right because that makes it better. I'm gonna <laughs> like, learn you. I'll learn you. Oh my goodness! <laughs> like, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually at the part right now because he's been playing in the background. I'm actually at the part where Paz Vega's belly dancing in front of and the Nazi symbol. This is black yeah, Nazi. Yeah. They could not get away with this well, now, well, even well, with Samuel Jackson. Once again, slow your goddamn roll. We'll get into that. <laughs> but, okay. Um, for me, I had heard of the spirit. This was obviously an infamous bomb when it came out about a decade ago, released on Christmas Day, 2008, for for all the children to see. Um, and <laughs> I had only seen clips and stuff before this, and I was curious, if nothing else, to finally watch this. And I'll say this much. There are points in the movie where I think it does achieve being sort of like a comic put onto screen in terms of just like individual shots. I think all of that, any credit for that, goes to Bill Pope, who was a cinematographer we talked about last week with our Team America episode, who, like we mentioned before, has such a big record with like stuff like The Matrix and really great big scale uh, Hollywood blockbusters does a great job of I think shooting certain scenes and there are moments where I think it's like this looks like a really good Frank Miller comic book panel like there's a bit where the spirit they show him getting shot in the flashback I do really like that shot that's a good example of them actually kind of capturing the idea of like oh we're putting the comic to screen but most of the time you can clearly tell this is directed by someone who's never actually directed a movie because Frank Miller just thinks oh I'll storyboard this and we'll just shoot it exactly like the storyboard, and it'll be fine. Like, when the spirit's hopping along on the telephone wire. 
in theory, uh, that could be like... It looks cool. Well, in, in, in theory, it would. And I think in still images, it would look pretty cool. But I think in practice, um, it's this movie's constantly teetering this line that I'm not sure how serious it wants to treat itself and how much it wants to be a bad joke. Like, it's so going back and forth between that that I'm never really sure, like, Frank, what do you want from us? That's what I kept saying this whole time. Like, Frank, Frank, come here, sit down. What do you want out of us? Are we supposed to be laughing, having fun? Are we supposed to be, like, immersed in the dark, gritty crime that's going on? What are we doing, Frank? Also, why do you have this 40s noir-type thing and have 2008 fucking Nokia phones in it? Why? It's, it's I mean, did I mention decision. that the fresh-ass Converse he's wearing as well? Yep, that's true. There's also that. <laughs> It's like they weren't wearing like no like I don't even think the original like the original spirits wearing a frumpy blue suit with like you know workman's boots or whatever like old workman's boots and stuff with a blue mask. All of a sudden you see this guy and it's like you know it's like it's the Frank Millerizing of it. He was you know? wearing a suit with like shoes and spats. The old spirit like he was he was old school detective. Gabriel Match does definitely look like he's just like dressing up as a detective, not being a detective at all. Even with like the domino mask, it's it's hard to pull that off on film. He can't at all. He's such a miscast no. example. Like to lead your movie and do all this narration, he just can't accomplish it. I I just don't know. I haven't seen suits, but I, I'm I'm sure he could work better in something that isn't this. This just isn't suited for him at all. And, and as you can I, I, tell from his introduction here, Tori seems to be more of a fan of the movie than us. I want, I want to give Tori the floor to, like, go ahead and speak your pieces. Though. Like, what do you find so enjoyable about the spirit? Well, I mean, the thing is, you'll be surprised. My enjoyment from the spirit comes from how horribly fucking inept it is, honestly. Um, it, it's just a mess of a film. Like, Frank Miller can't tell a fucking joke to sell, save his life. And it's more of me laughing at the film. And maybe there's a chuckle that I'll have with the film. And, and also, it's like, again, the style is something that easily gets me because I love Sin City, you know. I mean, I kind of like number two, but, you know, whatever. But uh, the spirit itself, um, as far as, like, the cast goes, I actually will defend Gabriel Mott, for for instance. I actually think he fucking tried. Um, I, I will say this, that he does, even though it's hilarious. He's very earnest. I think, personally, I think he's very earnest in how he, um, he delivers his lines. He, I think he believes it. He just didn't have anybody to really steer him in the right direction because the guy steering him in the right direction is Frank Miller. He's the, <laughs> he's the one kid caring in the school play that the gym teacher is directing while kind of sneaking <laughs> some booze off in the background. That's basically what he is. Like, none of the other kids really care that much. And he's just like, guys, I'm going to put on a show. I'm the spirit. That's what I am. <laughs> Um, I would also say that uh, Dan, Dan Laria from um, from the Wonder Years, um, I like him too because I, I actually kind of liked. Uh, he he seemed to fit into his role the most comfortably, from the way that he delivers his lines to um, just the back and forths that he has with the spirit. Um, and I, I'd also say like the bronze medal in this case. I mean, this is a bronze medal to a pile of shit. I just want to be the first to say there would be Sarah Paulson as Ellen. Um, I think she, out of all the women in the movie, she's the one who actually gave effort because. Like I said, Scott Johansson didn't give a fuck about this movie from the way that she delivers yeah. her lines where it's like this fake-ass Aubrey Plaza almost like delivery where she's like, oh, it's the spirit. Oh, our projection, no. our stocks are down 20% octopus. Every line. 
You see, oh. they're going to they're going to be at it all night long. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my god. Like, I'm surprised this film did nothing to her career overall, obviously, but holy shit, dude, you did not give a fuck. And then, like, Eva Mendez is, like, trying for some reason in some parts, but then there's other parts where she's just there to look pretty wearing these, like, you know, fashionable things. And she likes gold. That's her character, everybody. She loves shiny fucking shit. She literally says that's her character. Her her quest is for what she literally calls the shiny thing of all shiny things. (sighs) (sighs) That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. She like she's literally trying. She's like, I want the shiniest thing of all shiny things. She like just stares off in the distance. Like it's really important to her. I'm like, wow. I really wish the thing that this was that was important to you was like something that was fucking tangible, not you know gold, you know, or, or whatever. And is this also the scene where she does the weird pedophilic comment about Robin, the boy wonder? Yes, yeah. Really with the ni- nice little, the nice little uh, uh, camera behind the the handcuffs, by the way, where he's got the handcuffs out, and it's a first person perspective. I'm like Frank Miller. Why do like even scenes that would look cool if anybody else did it? Literally anybody else. Like like you can't even like pull half of these fucking scenes off. Like, everything just looks silly. It's like, it feels like it's just one camera angle for most of the action scenes. Like, the scenes where Gabriel Marked is doing backflips on, like, the alleyway, like, little door, like, you know, the little stairs that are, like, outside of the fire escape. Yeah, when he's doing backflips on the fire escape, it's the most awkward-looking thing that you could see in a widescreen version of this film. All while he's narrating with bits about just like, oh, my city, she screams for me. Oh, Oh, my city. I I love every creak of the... Like, I love how he talks about the bad infrastructure of the city, just like, oh, she loves her wrinkles and her cracks and every bit. Just like, these are crumbling buildings, Spirit. You should be talking about the infrastructure. How dare you sexualize infrastructure? I have been in many a pothole. Many. Like, and that shit should be interesting, at least, because, like, you know, the spirit defends the city. That actually could have been something a little more interesting if they explored it. If anything, it's just, like, some awkward, offhand narration that he makes where it's just fucking weird. It's like, it's my city, but I also like this naked lady and this naked lady and this naked lady. And death personified as a naked lady. Yeah, played wonderfully by Jamie King, uh, uh, yeah. She, Anyways, <laughs> Loralee, the angel of death. I'm just like, and, and then the, just the way he goes about women. It's like he, like Frank Miller, wanted somebody suave to put how he feels about women, and he decides to use Gabriel Mach's spirit as an avatar for that. And it just comes across as just backhanded sexist bullshit. Where it's like, you aren't, uh, you're not some hard to get evil criminal. You're soft, like all women. I'm like, ah. Uh, Oh my god! Yeah, when the, <laughs> Who when the, this? When the strongest there are female producers in this movie, why did they watch this and think this was a good idea? When, when your when, when your strongest female characters are the Sarah Paulson character, who is like we mentioned, just kind of like someone who protects the spirit motherly. So it's a weird like mother virgin complex thing. Um, all these characters have some form of like the poor virgin or the mother stereotype of a, any of these characters. And she's also nagging the spirit the whole time. There's that, or there's also the new recruit who they keep saying, she's going to make detective someday, who is just like a deus ex machina, or just a plot convenience of like, oh, hey, spirit, here's this thing of me actually doing detective work that you don't do, (laughs) because you're too busy wanting to fuck ladies. 
I'm a Twitter. <laughs> just random lines like that that he does an amazing job with. I just love it where it's like Sarah Paulson is like, she's like, yeah, yeah, nigga, you ain't shit, but I still love you. <laughs> it's basically personified the entire fucking movie. Where was the point where Frank Miller started dipping off? Was it like the, the new millennium, like All-Star Batman and Robin? <laughs> like after 9-11, he decided to just do the fucking Dark Knight Returns 2 with the kryptonite fucking gauntlets and all this stupid shit. Yeah. I only yeah. read part one, and I was like, done. Nah, man, he uh, he started losing his fucking, his hold on things. I would honestly, I would argue RoboCop 3. Because you can't even say Sin City, because Sin City was already, like, kind of existed. He really didn't do anything with the movie, except just sit there and oversee it and play a priest in one scene. So, oh I mean, <laughs> he... It, he's he's been out of touch for quite a while, dude. And if you read some of his shit online, he's just he's just a, such a sexist, elitist prick. I, I don't know if he was dealing with substance abuse problems or if he was sick, but oh, I'd seen in some interviews. <laughs> Are you saying Frank Miller does drugs and drinks that he did at some point? Never, never. Yeah, right. Right. But he was um he looked very like I was watching a 2016 interview it sounded like he was recovering from a stroke but then I watched the a recent interview from last year and he seemed like he was more returning to that more laid back Frank Miller like you know he seemed very articulate because I can't even I even watched this with the commentary on and he sounds horrible in that too like he actually sounds like he's more like there now and close to what he was in like the 80s now than what he's been like from maybe robocop 3 to like 2015 or 2010 yeah i was gonna say i wonder if the failing this and the sequel to sin city had anything to do with that i mean i'm not as big a comics guy as obviously adam is um but i what i've read of frank miller that sort of initial style that really influenced the comics industry like the dark knight returns many people have said but like that really was what sort of kicked the door back in for batman being like a serious grounded character to a certain degree, even though it was a big or the top satiric take, um, and you know the the Daredevil run that he did is phenomenal, and um, yeah. Batman Year One was incredibly crucial for something like the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Uh, but I think just as time went on, it sort of felt like he kind of got into to more of his hype, and he did stuff like the Second Dark Knight Returns book, or um, so that what was it, the Holy Terror. Is like the bottom low where he was like, yeah. where he went to DC Comics like, hey, I'm gonna have uh, Batman fight the Taliban. No, you're not. Okay, then I'll make my original OC don't steal <laughs> the Terror who will fight Cyborg Osama bin Laden. for that one recently. <laughs> I heard he had apologized for Holy Terror Batman. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm glad that you have self reflection now, Frank. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Rock Bottom uh, taught you taught you well. I. I it's sad because I, when it comes to spirit, I enjoy it. Like I said, I laugh at it. It's a so bad it's good movie for me. A guilty pleasure, if you will. You know, um, it's just that it could have been so much more in the hands of a more competent director. Like like Sam Raimi would have done fantastic with this type of character. I would even say, hell, keep the visual Sin City style, or even just do Sam Raimi's visual style and make it more like the comic book. This could have been a bankable comic franchise. In a vein, in a, in a year where it was starting to rebuild uh, uh, comic books again, I mean, 08 was like the genre film summer, for fuck's sake. Could have been something really, you know, an excellent cap off before the end of the year. A, a toast to the great year of superhero films, if you will. And instead, it just ended up being just a steaming joke of a fucking disappointment. It, it, it's sad, to be honest. Um, 
I but... can't disagree with you, but I mean, at the same time, this type of character has been tried already on the screen a couple times, and it's failed every time. Like, like the Phantom or uh, the, the Rocketeer? The Phantom, the Shadow. Dick Tracy. I actually, uh, I actually love Tracy. all the, I love all of I those know. movies. <laughs> Doesn't mean that they... Uh, right, but they failed. I mean, yeah, they, they just did. weren't done right. It, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah. In today's society, today's modern environment, it really doesn't work. I mean, I, you could argue Sin City, but, I mean, Sin City has also had, I mean, it was not, it hadn't been done like that yet either. And it was brutally violent and horror, filthy language. And, I mean, nudity. An all-star all cast and also... Yeah, just, a huge cast. And at the time, I mean, it was very technically innovative and still looks pretty good mm-hmm. even for, like, you know, ro- those Robert Rodriguez, like, CG movies don't usually do that. <laughs> Since he's, like, well, one Mickey Rourke back. Oh, my yeah, God. Exactly. You know, Helped that, his comeback a lot. That's, like, the best thing Robert Rodriguez has ever done is the Marv stuff in yep. that movie. So fucking great. I agree. But I, I think it's also an issue of, like, I, I agree with Adam just that I think the time kind of passed for something like The Spirit to work, especially doing some research. The earlier attempts of the production sounded so fascinating. Like, in the 70s, William Friedkin was trying to do a production of it, and, oh my god, yes, especially, he was trying to get Will Eisner to write it, and Will Eisner was like, nah, I won't do it. How about I get Harlan Ellison to write it? I'm like, what? That would have been Good so god. great. Oh my god. And then after that, there was an animated attempt from Brad Bird, who also would have been great for that. The actual, the pitch reel for that is on YouTube. I recommend watching that. It's, that five minutes is better than anything in the spirit. <laughs> but but yeah, I think it's just sort of like, the time for that has kind of passed from either, like the sort of, that point, like the 70s and 80s, where it would have been sort of kitsch, noir, nostalgia. I don't think it's really come back. And I, like, what was the last really good sort of, New and noir attempt that was successful anyway. Like even Blade Runner twenty forty nine wasn't successful. I would probably say uh, Looper. Looper wasn't really that successful either, though. It, it was uh, a success. I think it made it like it was. A, it was a box office. I mean, I would say it's just like Sin City. Like Sin City wasn't this hundred million dollar grossing film, but Sin City was successful enough. Same with like Looper. I would say yeah. those films. I think it all honestly has to do with. I think it's talent. I think it's talent and also having. An ad advertisement that can actually sell to the audience. Like I would say, even Blade Runner's problem was just relying on nostalgia. When the whole part of the nostalgia was is that it became a cult film. A lot of the films that you named became cult films. Technically, The Spirit is a cult film. No, the Phantom, I mean, all these yeah. pulpy films, like found success later on home video and and rental and stuff like that. If there is an audience there. There's not saying that it's guaranteed, but I do think there is a potential for someone to do like the pulpy type of comic books and bring it to the screen successfully where it's not just some, you know, cult film later that gets mentioned like, you know, randomly in conversation. You know, like I I really do believe that these type of films could be successful. It's just all about making sure everything comes together. I, I would say I think part of it is it's less become that popular in films at this point and more popular on television. There's a lot more noir-inspired, like, detective television shows, I think, have done. Like, True Detective. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, there, there are a lot yeah. more of that. that neo-noir is, like, more flourishing on television. Like, even I would argue Breaking Bad is neo-noir, to a certain extent. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah sure. For sure. I'd yeah. But um, we're getting really off track of the spirit, which might be a sign. No. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, we didn't even talk about Samuel Jackson's Nazi outfit and, eight, like, 15 other costume changes in the movie. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to talk about Samuel Jackson's deep and very eloquent speech about death and how it shatters where uh, shatters all of our brains like like disgusting eggs. 
that that was fucking weird too in the movie his like fascination with eggs like just the samuel jackson line of the movie after he shoots his henchman he's like no egg on my face not a glob and he has like this just over the top facial expression he just he chews scenery no matter what he's no matter what the context of the conversation is because and because octopi lay <laughs> eggs guys i guess <laughs> yeah exactly i, like, I, I don't no know real He's like, Ugh, fucking eggs. They're nasty. I'm like, why do you hate eggs so much? <laughs> An egg killed my mother. <laughs> and also just like the thing where they make the octopus. The whole point of the octopus is that he was a mysterious villain. That he just had like his eyes and I think maybe there was like Mickey Mouse gloves or whatever. But he was always a villain in like the shadows and the darkness. A, a Dr. Claw, if you will. You know, Frank decided, oh, well, fuck this. I got Samuel Jackson. Uh, but why don't you spin that off, Tori, into your final thoughts on the spirit and try and be as concise as possible. As concise as possible. <laughs> I've been very concise. I'm, I'm insulted. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it, like I said, it, it's a so good, it's a bad movie. It's not a film that I'm necessarily going to, like, in serious conversation, uh, not going to defend. It's it's a terrible, ineptly directed fucking movie. It's just a mess that I happen to enjoy. Um, you know, it's... it's uh, uh, the best four out of ten you'll have with your friends, you know, like that sort of thing. It, it, you know, it's 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 something that, um, you know, like I like someone's like, oh, this is fucking terrible. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like no no defense for me there. Um, so and I guess that's it. We, everything else we've already talked about when it when it comes to it. <laughs> it's an interesting failure. Adam. Well, to quote. Uh, the spirit is fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> I I don't I I can't. This is one of the few movies that I've seen it one time, and I anytime I've tried to revisit it. Well, no, I guess I've seen it twice now because I fucking had to watch it. But at any other time I had to revisit it, I could never make it through it. I can't do it. I, I've tried. I've tried. I don't know that it's Gabriel Mott who's so terrible and I just don't think he can handle the material. I don't think he's leading man quality. Cause even on suits, it's a duo. Uh, and it, that alone really hurts the movie. If your leading man is sinking the ship in your superhero movie, then you're, you're fucked. And this movie, they were just fucked from the get go. The sin city, you know, was good. So, Hey, let's fr- let Frank Miller do whatever the hell he wants. Worst mistake, worst mistake they could have made. Um, I think this is just a just a mess of a film, and uh, yeah, that's about all I gotta say about that. Yeah, I mean, um, I echo most of the sentiments, and I want to be on Tori's side though about it being a so bad it's good movie because I can see a world where it would be that. But I think the the problem is that like so bad it's good tends to work best when there's an earnestness in terms of the sort of filmmakers being inept but they have like either like a lacking budget or a lacking cast or anything like that that really makes it work this feels more like it's an embarrassment of riches and I underline embarrassment because Frank Miller had all the resources, Frank Miller had great cast, phenomenal cinematographer um, such a really elegant style that he we know obviously utilized and I think honestly probably works best during the end credits montage that has like his drawings that's where like it works the most consistently (laughs) because he it's something where he can you know take control 
on his own and do the style where, you know, regardless of how you necessarily feel about some of his uh, works that are later, um, he at least has a distinctive style. And I feel like him trying to put that onto the screen, it feels, like I said, more like storyboards than ever does a moving 24 frames per second movie. And that's really the trouble with it, is that I, I, I want this to be like some kind of underground gem. Like, for all the issues I have with Dick Tracy, I love the production design of that movie. I love the the world that is built there. But, you know, even with matte paints and stuff like that, it still feels so much more real than a second of the spirit. And even, you know, the spirit obviously being over-stylized, over-the-top comic book. There, there's nothing to really ground you there, and there's so much inconsistency with, like, oh my god, this looks gorgeous, and then, oh, this looks, like, really badly matted green screen. It's it's constantly back and forth, just like the tone and the style of points and the, obviously, the sexual politics we don't need to go into, because <laughs> we have. Uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's a real dumpster fire, but one that's kind of pretty. There are points where it's like, oh, flickered. That looks interesting. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not not very consistent. That ends our discussion for the week, uh, but we do want to read some feedback. We asked all of you out there about your favorite noir films, whether it be film or neo-noir, and uh, we have some comments here. Ryan Lindley says, Drive, Memento, Dark City, Twelve Monkeys, and Fargo are some of my favorite neo-slash-sci-fi noirs. Yeah, all pretty enjoyable movies there. I don't disagree with that. I don't... Yeah, I like all those. I can't disagree with any of them. I wouldn't even add seven to that list, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, then Nate Thomas says, some of my favorites, The Big Sleep, Chinatown, The Long Goodbye, some great sci-fi noir, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, Dark City, The 13th Floor. Now, Adam, I know you're a big fan of Blade Runner. Have you seen 2049? Yes, I have. And did you um, enjoy it? I did. It was my favorite movie of the year. I thought visually it was one of the most breathtaking things I've seen in a long, long time. Um, and I was completely behind uh, everybody in it. I thought Gosling turned in a fucking fantastic performance. Uh, Jared Leto, as much tired of him as I am, I thought he was the perfect amount of just weird and odd for his role. I, I loved Blade Runner 2049. The soundtrack, the cinematography, the colors, the acting, everything. Mm-hmm. And I do want to give a shout out. He says The Long Goodbye. That's one that's very under the radar, kind of gotten lost to time. Great so little... fucking good. Oh my god, yeah. If you want to see sort of the the, the sort of Raymond Chandler-inspired um, uh, neo-noir of that, uh, that's definitely... Watch The Long Goodbye, and you're like, oh wow, this is where the Coen brothers got a lot of their stuff for The Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Along with The Big Sleep, obviously. Uh, Brian Kane says, Couldn't stomach any 50s or earlier era noir films. Maybe I just don't know where to start. Uh, best one I can think of is Dark City. I, I, I will put something on the table, fellas. Dark City is a blank spot. I have not seen it. Really? No. Yeah, I'm shocked. I oh. figured you would have. Yeah. Going to the back pocket. We'll me. save that one. Yeah, we'll <laughs> save that one. That's a good movie, man. Yes, we'll save that for sure. I definitely, definitely want to talk about Dark City on here then. Uh, we'll d- we easel it in somewhere. Yes. Uh, Don Chambers is this to say, um, I like the anime series Big O, which I believe was anime noir, but I that's what I've seen the most of. And I'm not as familiar with that. Tori, I know you're more of an anime person than I am. Have you seen Big O? Oh, my goodness. So uh, Big O is definitely amongst like a lot of those uh, sort of those child like I've seen in my childhood, like during the whole tsunami era, which I mean, it's still around now. It came back, but like the, the original tsunami era. 
Um, one of the more mature animes that I saw that kind of forced me to have patience watching as a kid was uh, was Cow was actually I'm going to mention that one off too because that's technically a noir. Um, would be uh, Big O and Cowboy Bebop. Um, Big O's fantastic. It's it's kind of dystopian in a way too because it's sort of like a world where no one has memories of what happened a, a number of years beforehand. Everyone kind of kind of goes about their day. And it's 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 just amazing how it's like this sort of these mechas that battle off and um, in this sort of just this very gray, very bleak backdrop. It definitely captures the tone of of a, of a, of a neo noir very well. And that the same with Cowboy Bebop as well. Like that would that would be another uh, great example of uh, noir and anime. Friend of the show Heather Thomas says uh, my favorite is Blade Runner. I actually have a fondness for these type of films all the way around, but the older ones kind of all mesh together. So my least favorite, I think, is Eyes Wide Shut. I realize, of course, both the, those movies were a hybrid of other genres, but I am committed to my indecision. Of course she is. That's good for her. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I'll i say I, I like Eyes Wide Shut. I'm a defender. Controversial statement. I think it's the worst film Kubrick ever did. I do not blame Stanley Kubrick for how Eyes Wide Shut ended up. I used to actually make fun of my girlfriend when we first started talking because um, she was a huge Kubrick fan, and I would always make fun of Eyes Wide Shut, to, much to her chagrin. I thought he finished Eyes Wide Shut. He didn't get to finish AI. Well, no, no I, from what I understand, he didn't finish editing uh, Eyes Wide Shut. He oh, died in between gotcha. the editing. Yeah, and that's that, kind of like yeah. the important part to me. That really. I believe is the case. AI was more a thing of like he'd always had that idea, but he never did it. And then Spielberg was like, I'll do it. and I'll Spielberg it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's plenty of issues to discuss with AI, but I also don't mind that one. I, I have. Uh, I don't. I got, I like, got a soft spot for AI. Yeah. Um, I, I I'll agree with that, but that's a discussion for a different podcast. Um, mm-hmm. And then, um, big ups to uh, David Beaumont Paul, who um, does stuff at oneofus.net. I know Tori and I listened to him a lot when he was on various uh, podcasts at theformerspill.com. Um, great guy who knows his stuff about neo noir. Breaks it down here. Says, okay, getting real. The detective trio, Maltese Falcon, the Big Sleep Bogart version, Murder My Sweet, my personal favorite by a hair. Um, then the anti-hero slash bad guy or good guy out of the past, the gun for hire, the asphalt jungle, and then the Orson Welles uh, Troika, Lady from Shanghai, the third man, maybe the best of the bunch, and Touch of Evil, Charlton Heston's best movie, in my honest opinion. I could go on, of course, but these are the nine films that sort of act as a base for any noir 101 course of study. If you don't like these, you don't like noir. So there, Brian Kane, if you're wondering where to start, there you go. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, yeah, I've seen most of these. I was recently watched uh, Touch of Evil, which is on Netflix as we were uh, recording this, and that is an amazing movie. I mean, honestly, all these that I've seen I know are pretty goddamn great. In regards to Bo's list, I mean, uh, it, the, the thing is with me, most of my noir experiences have been with, like, very recent noir films. Um like I said, I, I hadn't seen The Killing, so I actually do have a lot to really build upon, like a lot to you know check out, especially amongst the films he listed. Because I mean, to me, like noirs I watched again growing up, it was like L.A. Confidential, Seven, Brick. I think I saw Chinatown once, <laughs> you know, like those like more re- and like and obviously like the neo noir films we were talking about before, like Blade Runner and Dark City, Sin City, like those type of films. I'll also give one that I just recently saw, like last night I watched because I was like, I've always heard of this movie, and it's heard it talked about noir circles but it's definitely a meld of various different genres 
that's like now a new favorite of mine. And I don't want to say a lot about it because we're going to talk about it on the show at some point for sure. Is the Night of the Hunter with Robert Mitchum? Oh my god, I fucking love that movie. I, um, I honestly think that's it's one of my all time favorite movies of all time. Amazing movie. It's a new favorite of mine for sure. That that it's that so has fucking good. Such a great fucking movie. But we'll talk about it. Put it in the pocket. I just want to say Robert. I just want to say Robert Mitchum fucking crushes oh, in that movie. So he fucks so hard. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, but before we go, we want to have, we have a few announcements and we want to thank some people. Uh, first, thanks to Chris Oliver, who does the music for our show. Uh, you can listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarta for the arts. Uh, she accepts commissions at fiverr.com slash ee Scarta. And, uh, the week that this is being put out there, um, I will be at Dragon Con in Atlanta, Georgia, all Labor Day weekend, August 31st through September 3rd in downtown Atlanta, doing panels on the horror and urban fantasy track, which will be at the Westin, either in the Chastain or the Peachtree one. If you have the Dragon Con app, you can look up which is which, uh, but the panels I'll be on will be panel about the Angel TV show called Fighting Unbeatable Evil, an Angel fan panel, on Saturday... Uh, September 1st at 1pm at the Chastain Weston uh, the Beetlejuice 30th anniversary panel on Saturday as well at 7pm at the Peachtree Weston uh, then from Slayer to Hero a Buffy retrospective on Sunday September 2nd at 7pm at the Chastain Weston and then Let the Right One In the 10th anniversary panel which I'll be moderating which is on the 2nd as well at 8.30pm at the Peachtree Weston so yeah, all those in the Western Hotel, and I'll be on there. So if you're a fan of the show, come along, and you know, well, we'll get a drink after the panel. It'll be fun, or during the panel, we'll interrupt everybody. It'll be great. Adam, be Adam will not. Adam will not be there, um, despite how much I want to drag him along. He will not be coming to Atlanta. No, for the... I'll kind of be there. He'll. <laughs> he'll be there in spirit and about like three or four miles away. Like you're you're not that far at all. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, speaking of Tori, of course, Tori, thank you for appearing on the show. You won't have anything to plug, anything to say out there about your social media presence and such? Um, yeah, let's, you know what? Yeah. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter um, for any stupid shit you want me to, you know, you want to see that I'm saying or retweeting, um, you should, uh, at Tori Knows Beats. Um, just type that in, you should find me instantly. Um, other than that, not really. I mean, I got stuff on that uh, Twitter anyway. If you want to follow anything else, um, when if I ever do music again, you'll find it on SoundCloud. Same handle. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, no, nothing else to plug. Thanks for having me on, and hopefully it wasn't, uh, you know, you know, wasn't it wasn't too out there. My 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 spirit love, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> you really put a true spirit inside all of us, Tori. Um, we want to encourage you all to follow us once again at DEDBpod. For Twitter and Facebook, we're also at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com for any emails you want to send for feedback, positive or negative, we'll most likely read on the show. Uh, We also want to encourage you to follow us on our individual accounts. I'm at Not The Who's Tommy. Malekithfan6969. Never gets old at all. Um, And we want to encourage you once again to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us to give the show more visibility. And if you email us a picture of your iTunes review to that doubleedgedoublebill.gmail.com address, you'll receive a free sticker pack with uh, little stickers of our logo if you are in a U.S. address. Absolutely. 
uh, you'll get a pack of at least four. At least four. Yeah, they're just sitting there I mean, waiting for you guys. Nice, it depends how nice the review is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys suck. Give me a sticker, motherfucker. <laughs> Um, but yeah they're just sitting there waiting for you guys just sitting there waiting to be put onto your your bumper sticker or uh, the back of your laptop or on your trapper Trapper keeper keeper, like we said of course trapper keeper Uh, the most the best place school's starting guys you gotta put that on your trapper keeper all you kids and listen to us on your fucking skateboard wherever you gotta put it guys (laughs) Was it called Five Star? The little, little thing that had like the little extra space so you could fit like maybe one or two extra notebooks in. Like. Ain't no one putting stickers on Five Stars. Those them bitches cost twenty dollars a piece, dog. <laughs> I was a spoiled. I was a spoiled child. <laughs> well, before we talk, before we talk about school supplies any further, let's disappear into the fog, fellas, and uh, try and find that last dame who got away. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, everybody.